spider tack. Spider tack is the nothing personal word of the day. 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 Sorry, sorry, we got stuck for a minute. Spider tack. Today is Wednesday, June 9th, 2021. Garrett Cole. We're leading off the show with Garrett Cole, the guy who signed a nine-year, $324 million contract, whose agent is Scott Boris, who has been a good pitcher, then an okay pitcher, then a great pitcher, an ace, the number one, number one, signed by the Yankees to bring them to the promised land. Now we are in the middle of a foreign substance, sticky spider tax scandal. And Garrett Cole finally was asked the question, do you use spider tack? I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know if. Uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer this. His answer, um, as you may have just heard. I don't quite know how to answer that question. I spent all night thinking about how to deal with this because it's right up nothing personal's alley. Running a team for 18 years, you come across a lot of scandals, a lot of things, a lot of reasons why players have to meet the media. Garrett Cole is not a rookie. He's a veteran pitcher. Can you just imagine how this is happening? Quick background, as I know you may remember, MLB has decided to crack down on foreign substance use by pitchers because they're looking for more offense. We talked about it. I think we may have let off yesterday's show, the day before, the day before, because it's a big deal. Players are starting to get angry. Josh Donaldson, as a hitter, has video of pitchers cheating. And I've told you that pitchers have been cheating since the beginning of time. They've got substances all over their body. They're putting on their hands, in their glove, under their jersey, under their sleeve. It's everywhere. Ever wonder why pitchers wear sleeves in the summer? under their hat, inside their hat. You've seen pitchers rub balls. We've seen all this happen. But all of a sudden, MLB's decided this is the cause du jour. We're going to deal with it. What's the first thing I'm doing as a president of a team? I'm getting together with my pitchers who use foreign substances, including spider tech. Because it's not a secret to any president or GM or manager or other players. It's not a secret. Everyone's going to deny it. Oh, I had no idea that he was taking steroids. Really? There's something called a weigh-in and a hat size that a player needs. Pimple medicine. I had no idea that his spin rate was up 750,000 RPMs per second. You think the clubhouse guys who do the laundry don't know what kind of laundry they're doing? You think that we're not in the clubhouse when they're taking their clothes off? That may have come out wrong. It's not that we're looking below the belt. We're mostly looking above the belt. Hey, what do you got on today? Ooh, looking good. Feeling good. We're talking to the players and we're preparing them for the media onslaught that is now upon us. This has been a lead story in baseball for days. Is it weeks? It's definitely days. How does the conversation go? Hey, Garrett, you're the leader. You're the number one pitcher on the team. We need to come up with an answer because you're going to be asked about it. And here's what I think your answer needs to be. When you're asked the following five questions, because you're going to be asked to my promise you, number one, 
What is your view of MLB's new crackdown on foreign substances? Number two, have you ever used any foreign substances? Number three, have those foreign substances led to improved and increased and better performance by you? Number four, were the Yankees aware that you use foreign substances when you signed a nine-year, $324 million deal? Number five, is there anything you'd like to add? Is there anything I missed? That's a question when you're at a press conference or when you're giving an interview. The last question always asked of you by someone who knows what he, she, or they are doing is, did I forget to ask you anything? Is there anything else I should know? That sort of open-ended question is when you get people to talk and they say things you didn't quite expect them to say, you get little nuggets for your article or they can make it go viral or clicks or whatever. First rule of interview club when asked at the end, is there anything I should add? Is there anything I should ask? Is there anything you'd like to add? The answer is always every single time without fail. No, but thank you. Nice to talk to you and you walk away. So that's the answer to the fifth question. No matter what, never add anything. Answer the questions asked next. What's your view of foreign substances? Give whatever view you want, Garrett, don't care. You guys can have a view, you can have no view, you can talk about command, you can talk about weather, you can talk about how difficult it is to throw 100, you can talk about your arm. I'm good with whatever you answer your view is. I'm not gonna give a player a view. I have no interest in that. Have at it. Second, I didn't write them down, Coca. The second question should have been, have you ever used foreign substances? All right, let's let's workshop this. There's only one thing you cannot do when asked that question. You cannot pause. You cannot hesitate. It has to be an immediate, strong, direct answer that doesn't answer the question because I don't want you to lie. Have you ever used a foreign substance called spider tack? I'm not prepared to answer that question right now. No, you could say it that way, but let's do better, Garrett. I don't quite know how to answer that question. Oh my God, Garrett, no. Stop, get that out of your head. You can never say, I don't quite know how to answer that question. You know how to answer it, and we're gonna answer it with either a confirmation, a denial, or a bridge to another subject. Confirmation. Yes, I have used foreign substances in the past, and I've used them not just to gain a competitive advantage, I've used it for the safety of the hitters. Okay, we'll workshop that a little bit in a minute. Denial. I have never used a foreign substance. I hate to never say never, but as far as I know, I have never knowingly used a foreign substance. Don't love it, sounds a little bit like Bill Clinton. I did not have sexual relations with that girl. Just sounds a little bit like you're not being forthcoming. How about let's try another one. That's an inappropriate question for you to ask because I am in no way going to tell my competitors anything that I do in order to get them out. That's a possibility. I like that, Garrett. Let's keep talking. Let's keep talking. We're going to talk through this. We're going to workshop the answer to the question. Did you know when the Yankees signed 
you to the deal that you were using far substances, which is why your performance had increased so much? And did you tell the Yankees? Well, that's a leading question. What you're asking me is, did I use foreign substances? And I already answered that question by telling you that I'm not going to answer that question. So, of course, I can't tell you whether or not the Yankees knew or didn't know because we're not even talking about far substances. What I want to do is talk about the fact that it's important for the Yankees and for our team to try to score more runs, and I need to do better because I've given up five runs in two of my last four starts. Oh, Garrett, that's good. That's called a bridge. When you take whatever question is asked and you bridge it to whatever you want to talk about. Did you ever use spider tech, Garrett? I'll tell you what was interesting about my start three games ago is I couldn't quite get the grip on the ball that I was hoping to get. I felt like I didn't have the, my curveball going. My fastball was fine, but it didn't have the kind of movement I was looking for. But I'm telling you that I've had some mechanical things and I'm working on it between starts. Um, I'm sorry, Garrett. Again, did you use a foreign substance called spider tech? You know, I got to tell you, a team like the Yankees with the expectations that we have, it is so important, not just that our manager has our back because we know he does. And this is not about Brian Cashman. This is about the 26 guys in the clubhouse right now looking ourselves in the mirror and saying that we are going to do better. I'm sorry, one more time, Garrett. What I'm trying to understand is, did you mislead the Yankees when you signed this contract? Was Scott Boris a part of this, by the way? Well, my relationship with Scott Boras has nothing to do with anything other than I've, he's my agent. So he's the one who negotiated with the Yankees. I, I just told him I wanted to be a Yankee because that was my childhood dream. And I had a jersey from when I was a kid. And it, I just always wanted to play for the Yankees. What went on during negotiations, that really, that's, a, I leave that up to Boras. I'm, I'm sorry. <clears throat> one more question, Garrett. If the other players knew, that you were using spider tack, would you stop it if MLB starts enforcing that rule? Well, again, I am all in favor of MLB enforcing whatever rules they want, and I'm going to follow whatever rules they're enforcing. Notice what I just said, by the way. I just said I'm going to follow whatever MLB rules are being enforced. The whole point of the spider tack and sticky substance situation, it was sort of under the table like steroids. Everyone knew it was going on, but no one cared because we were all good with it. So Garrett Cole gets to say, hey, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I don't even know what that means. It means that if they're doing it, I'm doing it. Although that's why so many people use steroids. Anything you can do. Oh no, I just did that yesterday. I think you can do better. I can do better. I was just surprised that Garrett Cole went through what he went through, answered what he answered. How bad was that audio? Coca, did we get that audio on the show? Because I couldn't hear it. Part of the Zoom issue. Just want to make sure we got it. Okay, we did. How bad did he look answering that question with his hesitation? <laughs> I don't quite know how to answer that. If I am the president of the Yankees, I am despondent beyond repair that I had my star player so unprepared to answer a question when it was such an obvious question. We'll see how it goes going forward, but this Garrett Cole story is not going away. If I'm the Yankees and I signed him to that $324 million deal and all of a sudden Garrett Cole starts sucking because he can't use spider tech anymore and he reverts back to who he was, which was fine, but certainly not a number one pitcher. I'm not sure what I'm doing, except how about fraudulent inducement to enter into a contract? I always wanted to know why we couldn't do that 
I thought about that with D Gordon when he signed the contract and found out he was doing steroids and he said he wasn't, but he had such a great year. We signed him to that big deal. I just wonder if, and I, I love you, D. I really do. I'm just still sad, but I wonder, and I've said this to our general counsel, and I think about this all the time. While I am a lawyer, I don't practice law. So a smart, a smart lawyer knows that A, can't represent yourself, and B, get smarter lawyers around you to help you, which we always did. Fraudulent inducement is when you are entering into a contract with someone because you assume something to be the case, and then you find out it's not the case. In the world, when you are buying a machine that is supposed to make plastic water bottles and you buy the contract and it's been represented to you that in the contract that this machine makes plastic water bottles, you pay the money and then you turn on the machine and all of a sudden out comes glass. And forget the fact that you didn't do your due diligence, but the reality is you were told that it makes plastic. You get to say, wait a minute, you lied to me. You were fraudulent and you made me enter into a contract with you to buy this machine. And as it turns out, this machine makes glass, not plastic. In sports, I got fraudulently induced into every contract I signed with players who sucked. At the time, they thought they were good. I thought they were good. So it's okay. But what if a player who wasn't good or was good knew that he was good because he was doing something that if he's not allowed to do, he won't be good anymore? like steroids or foreign substances? It's a good question. So Garrett Cole was a member of the Astros when everyone went to the Astros and they became all of a sudden these star pitchers, these great pitchers. They went from being okay to being great. Hitters went and started hitting. Trash cans started getting banged. It was only a matter of time until a book came out. A bunch of books are coming out now, including one that just came out by a Pretty, uh, pretty great writer. His name is Andy Martino. And he wrote a book about the Astros, all in about everything related to the Astros, trash can banging. And as you recall, because, man, you better recall, because it was early on and nothing personal, one of the great scandals of baseball that's happened since we started. Wow, there's a lot of scandals in baseball, huh, Coca? I wonder if it's because it's baseball that it's a scandal. So the book is called Cheated, the Inside Story of the Astro Scandal and a Colorful History of Sign Stealing. I wanted to give a shout out to the name of the book in case you're going on Amazon. Get there before Bezos goes into space. So in the book, it's going to be important you read it only because I want you to know about the Astros more than I've even told you. But there's something in there that I want to spoil. And it's about Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve is one of my favorite players because he's the guy I can see eye to eye with. And I'm, I love the fact that he's an MVP. I love the fact that he's a World Series champion. I love the fact that he's my size. It's why I love Spud Webb and Muggsy Bogues, people who can accomplish unbelievable athletic things that generally require size and height. He had the ability to do being 65 inches. So he's 64 and a half, whatever he is. So Altuve, in the book, there's a conversation and discussion about the fact that Altuve uh, did not want to be a part of the cheating. Isn't that interesting? 
When Altuve is the one who they thought he was wearing a buzzer when he wouldn't take his shirt off, and I'm the one who said on the air that it's a little outrageous that he didn't want to take his shirt off, and then he went into the clubhouse before doing an interview. Did he? Didn't he? There were all these conspiracy theories. He was holding his chest. Did he have a buzzer? Did he not have a buzzer? Was it a vibrator? Was it an earpiece? Is there any way to have something vibrate that the catcher can hear or the umpire can hear when you're at the plate? But it was all the rage. Conspiracy theories are tough because you just can't prove them by definition, which is why they're conspiracy theories, of course. But Altuve caught a lot of slack. Then in 2020, he hit, what did he hit, Coca? Like two and a quarter? Just had a bad year. And he wasn't the type of hitter that he had been and because he had been an over 300 hitter with power, hitting to all fields. Just a one of the best players in baseball. So clearly, if one of the best players in baseball becomes sort of mediocre, it's got to be because he was cheating. That's completely absurd. When Christian Yelich wins an MVP and then spends time hitting 250 or 240 or 230, that doesn't mean anything. It's a 60-game sample size. He had 219 last year. What's he hitting this year? 302, does that mean that he's back to using the buzzer? Or does that mean that he's back to cheating, garbage can, banging? I actually believe Altuve. I believe that it can be distracting. Do you know that I spoke to a bunch of players about the sign-stealing scandal. And many of the hitters said the same thing. They don't want to know what pitch is coming because it's too confusing to them. Some players said, I definitely want to know what pitch is coming. Some players said, I don't want to hear noises. I try to sort of X out the crowd. Don't want to be any part of that. All of that is totally normal. Some players want it, some players don't. But what fascinated me is that Altuve has to spend the rest of his career saying that he didn't want the pitches, how angry he got when people were banging during his at-bats. And I get that. But the worst part about people who were accused of something that they didn't do is that the fact that they didn't do it is never the story. It's the accusation that they did do it. You are convicted immediately once accused, and that goes for not just sign stealing. It's really going for just about everything in today's world. You are guilty just by being accused. And if it turns out that you were accused incorrectly, you can sue for libel, slander. You can win. You can get a settlement. Just think about Deshaun Watson. Think about what he's up against with those 22 lawsuits or 20 lawsuits, whatever it is. Haven't you all made your decision whether he did it? Haven't you all made your decision whether Marcelo Zuna did it? Haven't you all made your decision whether Jose Altuve did it? Of course, we're not talking about sign stealing as a, as a crime that actually hurts anyone other than a few gamblers. So I don't mean in any way to compare sign stealing with domestic violence or sexual assault. Trust me, I don't. I'm talking about the concept that once you are accused of doing something, that's it, you've done it. So I think the way that ends is people may read the book. They should read the book. Andy's a good writer. And I think that people aren't going to forgive Houston. I think the more Houston doesn't win, the more it will be assumed that their World Series was tainted. But I ask you this. Are you a Cubs fan? Is your World Series tainted? Are you a Nats fan? Is your World Series tainted? Are you a Marlins fan? Is our 2003 World Series tainted? Just because you win one and not two, one and not three, just because you get to four and don't win one, is it tainted? Not to me. People are struggling like crazy with the media these days. 
You know, we have a job. Coke and I talk about our job when we're preparing for our show and we take notes. We talk about topics, what we're going to talk about, what we're not going to talk about. And Coke is very clear to me just to be careful when we're talking about things that are close to the third rail, when you're telling stories about people you know, experiences you've had. He just wants me to be careful. He wants to be careful because he obviously self-preservation is a very strong emotion. He's got a job. He likes his job. I think he likes his job. I've got a job. I love my job. And with a microphone, one word, end of job. It's words that I would never say, but end of job. What makes you listen to nothing personal? Stories that you hear, experiences that I've had, applying the experiences that I've had over 18 years running a team into what's going on now, not just in baseball, but in other sports and in politics and entertainment. I get the reason why nothing personal is working, and that's why it makes me work even harder. But the danger is that the stories I tell about players, about other executives, presidents, about myself, people often ask, does anyone ever call you angry? And my answer is I get plenty of calls. And the reason why they're not angry is there's no denying that what I'm telling you happened because I was there and it happened and it's true. So it's hard for someone to get angry with me for saying something that's true. But what you could get angry with me about if you are or were a friend, and I would argue that work friends may or may not be real friends, is that I have violated a confidence. I did that in confidence. And my answer 99 out of 100 times is no, you didn't. When you do something that's out there in public, you give a statement, you say something, we're having a conversation. Unless we are having a private conversation, a personal conversation, it's fair game. A personal conversation is why the show is called Nothing Personal. You know the story, I think, Coca. Did we ever tell a story of how it got named Nothing Personal? I actually don't know we've ever told that story. We could not come up with a name of the show. We had an idea of what we wanted to do. I was approached by CBS to get my own show. And we talked about what producer I would need. And I said, I need that guy over there. That guy, Matthew Coca. He's exactly the perfect compliment for me. He doesn't like me. I don't like him. He knows what I don't know. I know what he doesn't know. He is not afraid to tell me when I'm wrong. He is the perfect person to have in my ear 45 minutes a day. I had a list of names. I'd come up with like 20 names, like Samson Speaks was one of them. There were a bunch of them. I'm sitting at a desk at CBS Sports HQ one morning and Coca walks by. We know we're developing the show. We don't have a start date. We don't know when rehearsals start. We don't know when it's gonna get picked up by CBS. We don't know whether it's gonna be a podcast or on HQ. We don't know anything. And Coca walks by, literally just walks by with the cubicle in which I was sitting, not really a cubicle, sort of a chair at the end of a long desk where the anchors and producers sat for CBS Sports HQ. And he says, I've got it. And he puts it as a piece of paper, nothing personal. That's how it happened. He thought of it like at night and he remembered it the next morning. It's just business. It's nothing personal. Nothing personal with David Sampson. That's how it started. So anytime I have a conversation with a player or anytime I'm speaking to an owner or a commissioner or anyone and there's a personal conversation going on because there's a pseudo personal relationship about your family, about your kids, about your love life, about anything like that, 
I'm not getting into that ever on this show. I'm not interested in the gossip. I'm not interested in any of that. But if you do something that impacts your performance, if you do something that is of interest to fans and listeners who want to know what goes on behind the scenes so we can find a way to lower that curtain, to get rid of that curtain, it's fair game. I'm going to talk about it. People have asked me whether a friend of mine, Ricky Nolasco, is pissed that I told the 3 a.m. pizza story. The answer is no, because he was there at 3 a.m. the night before his start. Kevin Durant does not seem to subscribe to this view. Kevin Durant, whose Nets team is up 2-0 over the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis, has gotten into some Twitter spats and Instagram spats with people like Michael Rappaport, who you may know who that is, you may not. And he's now getting into it with Jay Williams, the former Duke guard, the guy who broke his leg on a motorcycle or some sort of accident with the Bulls, and that was the end of his career. He's now some sort of talking head. And Jay Williams was telling the story about Kevin Durant on, an, on the show or a podcast, wherever he was, a story about something that Kevin Durant said to him at a party. And Kevin Durant said to Jay Williams, don't ever compare me to Giannis. I'm not Giannis because Jay Williams was talking to him about Giannis or an MVP or who's the MVP, who's not the MVP, who's the best player in the league, whatever the case is. And Durant apparently got pissy during the conversation that happened at some party and said something that to me was semi-negative against Giannis, not in terms of race or anything, not in a bad way, just, hey, I'm Kevin Durant. I'm Kevin Durant. So Jay Williams tells the story and Durant loses his mind. He actually lost his mind. And what I was interested in is why. Not the fact that Kevin Durant got angry or upset at Jay Williams. The fact that he called out Jay Williams saying that Jay Williams is a liar. Called him a liar. And if there's only two people who were there at the time, I guess there's no doubt someone could always say you're lying. The only people who actually know what goes on when two people have a conversation are the two people. The rest of us just speculate. The best part of nothing personal is when I'm one of the two people, I know I'm not lying. Jay Williams, what incentive would he have to lie about what Kevin Durant said? For a hot take? For a click? Is that the incentive that you think that I have and why the numbers of nothing personal are doing fine and why we're building this, <clears throat> this loyal base of fans based on lies? I'm here for the long run. Jay Williams has zero incentive to lie about Kevin Durant. How is that going to help his career? How is that going to be helpful in any way if he lied about it? Because I promise you, it's not the first time he's told that story. The stories that I tell you have been told privately to other people in the clubhouse, to other executives. Jay Williams had talked about Kevin Durant before. Kevin Durant just got super sensitive about it. Do you think that makes Jay Williams want to stop? Do you think Jay Williams needs Kevin Durant's friendship? Do you think they have a friendship? Do you think it matters? Do you think that friendship's real? What's real is that if you're trying to be in the media, what's real is that if you're trying to be someone who's had experiences and trying to articulate those experiences so other people can learn what goes on, you have to be willing to pay that price. Pay the price that every once in a while, there'll be someone who you thought you were close to, everyone who you thought you were work friends with is going to stop talking to you, is going to stop being around you. 
what happens if everyone does that? I guess then you just become a talking head with no real world experience. No, you don't. That's the joke of it, folks. When you've had 18 years in baseball or when you've had a career at Duke or with the Bulls, when you've been on the inside, they can't take it away from you. What you've got in your mind, the experiences that you've had are your experiences. And that is what listeners and viewers and people want to hear. I'm happy for Jay Williams. I think Kevin Durant is a little baby, I must tell you. Okay. I got to move on right now. I'll tell you why. Because there's a story I want to get to that is pretty interesting to me. But when we come back, we're going to review a new movie that I just watched. I think I spent a bunch of money on it. I cannot wait to review it. It stars Eric Bana. And then we are going to get into what, what, what goes on uh, and what could be going on in college. We will be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thanks for being here. Thanks for downloading, following, rating, reviewing, subscribing, telling your friends. I get to watch a movie every day. You know that. I've been watching a lot of new movies. Can't wait for tomorrow's review, but today's is The Dry. The Dry is an Australian movie starring Eric Bana. I just watched a TV series with him that I haven't reviewed yet called um, Dirty Portageon. And Eric Bana, I guess this was filmed during the pandemic, is in a movie called The Dry that is about a killing that takes place when Eric Bana was a child and a killing that takes place when Eric Bana is an adult. As an adult, he had moved from the small town where he was a child in Australia to the big city in Australia, maybe Melbourne. He was a federal agent now, like their equivalent of the FBI. And he goes back home for the death of a friend. And what follows is a two-hour movie where I needed to put the English subtitles on. I want to give you that in advance so you're aware of it. The English subtitles are used when, when the Australian accents are super thick and I can't really get used to it fast enough and I don't want to miss anything because it's the type of movie where you don't want to miss anything. So I just go down to subtitles, go English. So I'm listening to it in English, but I'm reading it in English as well. Eric Bana plays a character where you are trying to understand through flashbacks what formed him as an adult. I love movies like that, where you get an insight into the character, where you're not told that the character is a 
troubled person. You're not told anything. You are shown through experiences what formed that person, what made him who he is. And then it is sort of a mystery who killed who, why was it done, and how are they related? And I really do like movies like that. The reason it's called The Dry is twofold. I think it's a double entendre. The single and first entendre is that in Australia, during the time of this movie, there is an extreme drought. And that ends up becoming an important part of the whodunit and how are they related. The second entendre, thereby making it a double entendre, is that the dryness that is felt when relationships go stale. The way to keep something alive is with water. Water is the force and the cause of all life. Do we agree on that? I'm not a scientist. I may be wrong. Don't at me. Don't correct me, although you could correct me. I think water is what's needed for everything to live. Let's just assume I'm right. When there is no water, there can be no life. The relationships in the dry are between people where there has been absolutely no sprinkling of any drops for decades. And what happens when you immediately shower with a huge deluge of water on an extremely dry, raw countertop or skin covering? It not just provides relief, but it comes with a tiny bit of pain. The dry, check it out. It's well worth it. Nothing personal pick of the day. We were off yesterday because we're losing. We lost so many in a row. But I did something that I wanted to point out. Not placing any bets. Not telling you what the pick of the day was. But in my mind... I thought the Hawks would take a 2-0 lead against the 76ers. And I also thought that the Clippers would take advantage of the fact that they, coming off a of game seven, my view is in basketball, you don't have a letdown. My thought was they would come in and perform. I don't know what the line was. The Jazz won by three. I don't know that the Clippers covered in a lost position. If Utah was favored by four, which seems to be the favorite number the teams are favored by at home these days. Then they didn't cover, and I would have been right about the Clippers. The Sixers crushed the Hawks, even though it was a close game for a bit, not in the first and fourth quarter, but sort of in between. But I didn't do it. I wanted to see what would have happened. We're 77 and 58, and I thought to myself, am I now out of the penalty box? Am I ready to come back? And my answer is an unequivocal no. We're taking another day, folks. Many of you reached out about what I said about sports betting yesterday and how sometimes you got to take a day and how many of you who do bets online at William Hill, wherever you're doing it, DraftKings, FanDuel, you don't take a day. Sometimes you just need a day off. And after that day off, you need a second. Take it another day. We're 77 and 58. I will be watching the NBA tonight, though. I promise you that. Okay. Coca. Play it again, Sam. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. I couldn't hear that, by the way, Coca. We are definitely having some technical difficulties. Are we recording this, Coca? Anybody? 
Can you hear this? Have you been hearing this show so far? If you have, I guess we're recording. So you want to talk to Samson, get on my Twitter at David P. Samson. Hit follow. Hit follow and subscribe on the YouTube channel. Why aren't you subscribing to the YouTube channel? Just go to YouTube. Go to Nothing Personal with David Sampson. You're going to see our channel. Just hit subscribe, even if you're listening and not watching. Get into my DMs on Twitter, David P. S-A-M-S-O-N, and ask a question. And if it's on a trending topic that interests me, I may do it on the show. And if Coca likes it, then we're definitely going to do it on the show. And guess what? Coca liked today, so you want to talk to Sampson. Do you like the plan to expand the college football playoff to 12 teams? First of all, I like Coca loves. If you want to really get on the show, sometimes I read really long questions that you guys DM me and it drives Coca crazy. Why can't people be shorter and more economical with their words? So that one was terse, right to the point. What am I talking about? Well, if you watch CBS Sports HQ 12 months a year, you know exactly college football, gambling and the NFL. That's what it's all about. At the end of the season, they have this college football playoff where four teams are selected by the BCS selection committee. And then two teams play each other, two teams play each other, and then the two winners play each other. And you got yourself a national champion. That's how national champions are now crowned. So you want to be undefeated. You want to be in one of the power five conferences. That's going to be helpful. Quick, can you name the power five conferences? The Big Ten, that's mine. Wisconsin, the big 12, you know what that is. That's with Oklahoma, where I just was on the road trip. SEC, you know, that's where Nick Saban's going to be until 2029 with his new contract for like eight or $10 million a year. I'm picturing Nick Saban in 2027, right? It feels like it's so long from now, but it's not. He'll still be coaching, prowling the sideline with his headphone and his Alabama jacket. Can't be that hard to recruit to Alabama anymore, can it? ACC. The U and the Pac-17 with Stanford that no one cares about. Why doesn't anyone care about Stanford, Coca? Anyway, those are the Power Five Conferences. Why am I even talking about the Power Five Conferences? Because the Power Five Conferences, they rule the world. They rule the college football world. So if anything's going to happen in college football, the SEC, the Big 12, the Big 10, the ACC, and the Pac-12 are going to be involved not the Big East, not the Ivy Leagues. Why would they need to expand the college football playoffs? Anybody have any thought? The low-hanging fruit on that, that's an easy one. It's more money. The broadcast partners, the TV networks, can't get enough of these bowl games. Have you watched the Chick-fil-A Bowl or the the, uh, Callahan Auto Part Bowl in Ohio? That's actually a good one that happens every year. Do you know that one, Coca? I can't remember who was in that, but I think it was the Little Giants against the Angels in the outfield, but it was a definitely good game, and it was played like on December 17th. You know how bowls are if you're not playing New Year's Day or after New Year's Day, then you're sort of a crappy bowl. If you go to like the Outback Steakhouse sponsored by Ruth's Chris Bowl, December 17th, at Marlins Park, not such a good one. (laughs) So here's how this works. All the money lost from the pandemic, the fact that there is an increased demand for live sports, you put that together with the the budget requirements of the teams, 
the fact that the selection process has been scrutinized and criticized so badly over the years, and you do what every league is thinking about and wanting to do, you are expanding your playoffs. The college football playoff system, don't kid yourself, and this gets into name, image, likeness. This gets into whether college football players should be unionized and are they employees. The college football playoffs is a regular playoffs, a professional playoff round with professional size money going to the schools and the NCAA. There is nothing amateur about the playoff system. So, of course, they're going to try to expand it. But how do you decide when you're sitting down when on the competition committee in baseball, when we're sitting around talking about baseball's expanded playoffs, we go through all the different iterations. What are the different pros and cons of expanded playoffs? Do you expand that from four to eight, from four to 12, from four to six? Baseball, is it 10 to 12, 10 to 14, 10 to 16, 10 to 13? Who gets buys? Who doesn't? How do you get rewarded? In the four major professional sports, it's semi-easy, right? Because it's done by division and it's done by seeding and by ranking. College football is a little different, right? You could have several undefeated teams. You have to look at strength of schedule. You have to look at not just who's playing who, but who lost to who, when they lost, what were the circumstances of the loss, all these things. And it's done by human beings. That's been my problem with the college football playoff governance is that it's just a bunch of university presidents, right? The president or a chancellor or a conference commissioner, whatever. It's just a bunch of people. And when human beings get involved, right? There's gonna be mistakes. There's going to be bias, right? Whether you are the college football playoff governance, whether you're the playoff committee, whatever you are, it doesn't matter. It's people. When you don't have numbers dictate to you a result, then you have the wrong system. But how can you have a system when you've got different conferences in college football? You've got different strengths of schedule, but you've got that in the NFL, don't you? You have that in Major League Baseball. You have that in the NBA. There's always going to be a different strength of schedule depending on the division, depending on who's good or who's not good. You have to find a way where there is no angling. Angling is when there could be any sort of, here's the perfect example. Do you think there's any sort of fraud as to who gets to host the World Cup or who gets to host the Olympics because it's chosen by a bunch of committee members? Do you think there's any fraud when it comes to the Golden Globes, when it's chosen by a bunch of Hollywood foreign press people who are subject to the whims of people who will give them things they don't have? Am I calling out the governance or the committees that they're being paid off by teams to get into the playoffs? No. What I am saying is that there's an opportunity for a problem. And by expanding from four teams to 12, which you can bet your bottom dollar is going to happen. We better be told exactly how teams are going to be chosen. How is the bracket going to happen? How do teams get automatic bids? From what conference will those automatic bids come from? We're already hearing the automatic bids are going to come from the Power Five conference. Then how do you fill out the rest of the bids? 
can there be five teams from the SEC that make it into the final 12-game playoff? Who gets to host? There's more money in hosting unless you decide to split all gate revenue no matter what. The more at-large bids you have, the better it is for all the Power 5 schools, right? But what happens if you're an undefeated team? What's that school's name, Coca? Come on. They're in Florida somewhere. Is it the University of Central Florida? I don't think that is what it is. Oh, it is. Oh, my God. I can't believe I got it right. Where they were undefeated and they call themselves the champions, but they weren't the champions because they're not in the right division. They're not in the right conference. Whatever the case may be, that has to stop. It's like a team like the Indians or the Tampa Bay Rays making it all the way to the playoffs. And people say, no, you guys are the Tampa Bay Rays or the Miami Marlins. You don't deserve to be there amongst the behemoths like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs and the Dodgers. That's a bunch of horse hockey. Why can't any team who's undefeated get a bid and be inside a playoff? Let them lose 75 to three in the first round against a power five school. I want consistency. If I'm on that committee, that's all I'm asking. That's all I'm demanding for. If I'm the president of one of the schools in the power five, though, I want to make sure the rules are rigged that when the college football playoff system gets expanded, it is rigged to my benefit. That's what big market, large revenue, huge behemoths who have power, that's what they do. Everything they do, every new rule that passes is done for the sole reason of benefiting them, not the sport in which they play, them. So wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. Someone asked me, Coca, yesterday to, to get a count of the wait to sees. I've never done it. The number of wait to sees we've had and how many are still pending and how many have been yeses and how many have been noes because we always revisit the wait to sees. The wait to see today is a pretty easy one. With all the money that is at stake, with all of the power that is at stake, with the need to recover from the COVID losses as quickly as possible, the college football playoff will expand from four teams, not in the future, this coming season. The bonus of that is that it's going to go all the way to 12. Four to 12 is the way to see for the college football playoff. Why is that? It's just business. Are you going to be there, UCF? Nope. It's nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.